one programming note for this week's episode. While we are super excited to bring you our analysis this week for the Rams game, for whatever reason, we had some technical issues. Still not entirely sure what they are, so if you have any ideas, send them our way. But there is a pretty pronounced crackling and juddering throughout the entire episode. And to be honest, it makes it pretty difficult to listen to. So if you're willing to power through, go right ahead. But be warned, the audio quality is not the best. For that, we most definitely apologize. We'll try and figure out what the hell is going on before next week's show. And we'll see if we can figure it out and correct it. So if you're willing to power through, go right ahead. However, if you want to pull the ripcord right now, uh, I totally understand. Thanks again if you do choose to listen, uh, and uh, thanks. Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And holy hell, that was the most fun I've had watching a Niner game since pretty much the Jim Harbaugh era. Um, I think we might sit on a cooler in between segments, <laughs> a la Sean McVay. And the Glane Babbert rule is back. Uh, it's back, folks. Looking to kill livers, uh, if not maybe you, with an update to the Better Rivals drinking game. So, yeah, let's, let's get into it. Let's get into the recap. It's, it's been a while since the game, of course. So we're almost a full week, but we wanted to get back on a, on a normal recording schedule. So, yeah, this, uh, that was a, a barn burner, as they say. Dude, that uh, was great. So, I mean, this was, uh, again, probably the only time that I'll get to watch uh, a 49ers game live this year because they don't have any other primetime games. Um, and it was great. It was it was a lot of fun. Like I said, yeah, I mean, probably have to go back to uh, to Harbaugh, I think, I think to have been at least watching it. I mean, I mean, it's kind of funny, you know, uh, especially after last week's episode uh, in, in the whole moral victories are for losers thing. Like, that's still true uh we absolutely still true this game was still was, a loss it was and just it sucked uh it was just a more fun it uh, was a swift loss an absolute swift kick to the dick but it was still a lot of fun to watch especially in that crazy fourth quarter yeah it was uh i mean like onside kicks involved and like i mean just crazy things big plays happening like all over the place fumbles that jump straight up into the air um yeah it was great so here garcon uh, catching the back of a football uh marquis goodwin remembering he had hands yeah, apparently you just need just need to cover him, um, make make it as difficult as possible, and then that's how you uh, get get receptions. God, he is he's the guy who misses the wide open fourteen foot jump shot, but nails like the the three pointer with two people like bare down yeah. like in his yeah, face. Yeah, I mean pretty much. Yeah. Um, it's and those oh, those players can be so frustrating too because it's just like, dude, like how are you gonna go catch like these crazy ridiculous ones, and then you can't pull in that one that's like hitting you right there. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what to make about it, but let's get into the game recap then. Let's get into the things that we think, uh, and we've got several for this game because it was a lot of fun to watch. So the first thing that we think is that the, there's been a lot made about the pressure or lack thereof, especially when it comes to all of the, fir- the first picks that the 49ers have, have on this line. And, and really the first thing to think is that the pressure is there even if the sacks are not. In the game against the Rams, Jared Goff was pressured on 10 out of 28 passes, which is about 35% of the time, almost 30, uh, 36. That's just slightly above league average. The problem was, was that Jared Goff was ungodly amazing under pressure. <laughs> His throws in a tight windows were stupid. He was 6 for 10 for 139 yards under pressure, which is still pretty damn good. But when he didn't see any pressure at all, he was 16 for 10, 153 yards, 
and three touchdowns. The dude, I mean, he's literally night and day from where he where he won year one. Uh, and and yeah, it's it's pretty exciting to see, especially considering the fact that he was your your preseason quarterback favorite last year. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, this was the stuff that you saw him do at Cal, right? The reason, like when we were going through. Uh, the draft process that season and and you know we're talking about like wanting to have a quarterback in this draft and and all of those sort of things like the thing that he did really well at Cal was I mean it was it was a couple things but one like his deep ball accuracy was was really good and then he also you saw how he maneuvered in the pocket against sure and still got throws off the field because uh, you know at Cal he didn't have necessarily the greatest supporting cast around him so he was uh, kind of uh, he tried to do a lot right he tried to do a lot of things tried to put a lot on his shoulders um, and so you saw him make a lot of those kind of throws and, and this was, I mean, it's only been three games this season, but he's looked a lot more like that player, um, than obviously did last year when, when he had just that abysmal rookie season. So, and I think one, you saw him make some, some really good throws, but like you mentioned, the pressure from the 49ers standpoint was still, the, you know, it was there. It wasn't necessarily, you know, great. Nobody's mistaking them for, for. Um, you know, I don't know, I don't know, Houston's defensive line, you know, somebody like that, you know, one of kind of the top pass rushes there, but they got pressure again, 10 to 28 times. And on the season so far, they're eighth in pressure rate, um, right around 37%, just over 37% of the time they're getting pressure on quarterbacks. Um, so they're, they're getting there and, and that's important. I think, uh, a lot of times sacks are the focus and, and they, those obviously haven't been there only three sacks in the year, but pressure, uh, is, is a very important thing. And it, maybe even more important because it's uh, it's a more consistent thing. You can rely on getting pressure consistently as opposed to sacks, which can kind of come and go. And I tweeted out a play earlier today where I think, I think it was one of the earlier series. Goff pretty clearly diagnoses a blitz, blitz from No Bowman, goes to a slant flat side, and, and is able to throw a slant to Sammy Watkins with uh, Solomon Thomas bearing down and plowing through their right guard. And he's actually on one foot, leaning backwards, and throws a ball like with perfect accuracy, hits Sammy Watkins in stride, and Sammy Watkins is able to be fast because that's what he does, uh, and, and pick up some more yards after the catch. So he had some amazing accuracy. Of course, his wide receivers helped him out. Another Sammy Watkins kind of over the shoulder, like crane his neck back, kind of catch. That I mean, throw. throw. Um, like, he, like, he threw it. He threw, was insane. He threw it where only his receiver could get it, fifty yards down the field when the guy was double covered. I mean, it's yeah. Stupid. I mean, that was we were we were watching that play, you know, on the coach's tape, and and you see Jimmy Ward back there. So right, Jimmy Ward played every defensive snap in this game. Um, and, and this was a play that I thought he played very well. Like you see him, uh, you know, looking back at the quarterback, he's actually opening his hips to kind of turn and run that direction before the ball is even released. Um, you know, he's really, really smooth getting in and out of breaks back there and in, in that single hook and like takes a good angle of the ball, like gets there as the ball's arriving. Right. And that, that the, the pass was, just, was just a great ball location that, uh, you know, if, if that literally is a foot further inside, like Jimmy Ward probably makes that play and breaks that pass up. Right. Um, so it was just like one of those things where Goff was making plays, uh, and, and putting passes in the location that they needed to be. And sometimes you just gotta like those dudes get paid too, right? Like they made some, some great plays. And then the thing that's astounding about that, that throw and really the play that Jimmy Ward almost made is that, you know, if you listen to us during scheme week, you know, that middle of the field safety is responsible basically to the, to the numbers. And when he, when he made contact with Watkins, he's, he's at least five yards past this, the number. Like, I mean, oh, he, we're talking a couple yards from the sideline. Yeah. yeah I mean, he covered yeah. a lot of ground. And that's exactly what you want to see from Jimmy Ward in his first full game at free safety. 
But the sacks are indeed something that's missing from the defense. And we know that sacks can kill drives, but pressure also affects games. From 2006 to 2016, so the last 10 years, uh, the pressure causes a 32.7 point average drop in passer rating. So it definitely affects the quarterback, even if you aren't sacking the quarterback. Simply getting pressure is enough to affect the, the quarterback and what they're able to do. In 2016 alone, alone when quarterbacks did not, not see pressure, it was their, their quarterback rating on average was 99.3. When they did see pressure, it was 64.6. It's a little bit like taking a test, right? If you give someone unlimited amount of time, of course, they're probably going to do better on the test than if you try and compress their answers into a given time frame and say, do it, but do it under pressure. Pressure on quarterbacks can affect how they perform and can affect how they throw. And, and the analogy between those two, those two quarterback rating differences is like going from a top five to 10 quarterback to the worst starting quarterback in football. So basically, the pressure takes Sam Bradford, who has 99 point passer rating, six leaks over last year, to Ryan Fitzpatrick, 69.6. Uh, thirty. That's good. No, and but I hope I hope that pressure also gets people to grow a beard instantaneously. Like that's what I want. You see DeForest uh, Buckner in your face, beard. Hopefully, it gets you into Harvard too. Um, <laughs> and the other thing, I mean, so it's and a big part of that why the passer rating drops, right? Is because you're you're not only increasing like the inaccuracy of the quarterbacks, but you're you're creating more turnovers because of that. So right, so they're not throwing the ball on target. Um, compared to what they would be if they were, you know, throwing from a clean pocket. And so you see that interception rate go up. So it goes up um, again over the past. So this is since 2006, all of these numbers, um, which is which is as long as PFF have has for data for. Um, so in that time, interception rate, you know, increases by an average of 1.4%. So going from under two, which is uh, just insane. That's really, really, really good. good. Yeah. So that's like uh, among the best in the league, you know, in, in terms of interception rate. Just not a little better than like Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> yeah, Colin Kaepernick, uh, sub 2%, you know, interception rate guy for his career um, to 3.2%, which is maybe not quite Ryan Fitzpatrick, but really bad. Um, and, and so it does it, it opt for your defense, you know, so sack rate and, and nobody's try, trying to necessarily diminish sacks and say that they aren't good and, and even better, obviously, than getting pressure like sacks and drives in, in large part. And it's very difficult to overcome, uh, you know, losing that sort of yardage as an offense and make something positive happen, um, but not. Uh, getting sacks can still do you know a lot of good things for your defense if you're generating that pressure consistently uh, and I think so far the 49ers have been there's just still obviously a lot of room for improvement there but the the, the pressure has been there wasn't it justice uh justice Mosqueda who did the the kind of analysis of what a sack does to a drive this offseason oh uh was, Derek Clawson uh, Derek, uh, Derek, that's yeah. who it was uh, uh he did a really he wrote, wrote a really good goal this offseason about how a sack really does basically kill a drive and, and yes, you want to kill a drive, but a pressure is still nothing to scoff at. And the fact that the 49ers are eighth in the league in pressure rate is, is nothing. It, it, that's actually pretty good. And, and the hope is that eventually those turn into sacks over the course of the year because the more opportunities you have to do something, the more you're going to rack up. Now, the other question I think about pressure is whether or not anyone other than DeForest Buckner is contributing. Because when you look at DeForest Buckner's pressure rating and what he's able to do, the dude is, a, the dude is elite. He is an elite interior defensive goal right now. And it took him all of, of like 16 games and new snaps. It's, like, it's so exciting when play, when, it, when it's like you see this guy, you know, when we know when we were him from uh, from Oregon, like as as the, all the draft stuff was going on. It's like 
this guy's really good. Like, this is a guy that should put everything... Like, sometimes you just see those guys, right? Like, everybody kind of felt that way about Ruben Foster this year. It's just like, okay, if things, you know, if he doesn't get uh, hurt or something like crazy bad happens to him, like, this guy's just going to be a really good football player, and then you see him turn into a really good football player. And that's what's happened with Buckner. It's just, it's it's awesome to watch those guys. He's awesome. So Buckner has 46 total pressures. Uh, or no, we have 46 total pressure team. Six, 16 of those pressures are DeForest Buckner. So he has 34% of the team's pressure that his his uh his pass rush productivity which is a measure that pro football focus has puts him right up there with uh, mccoy and atkins which is uh gerald mccoy and geno atkins which is fantastic interior defensive tackle company to be around uh, yeah. i mean you know geno atkins we're basically talking about like the dudes had more pressures as an interior rusher than anybody but like jj watt essentially yeah. over the last few seasons so and then you got so so who else is on going to be on the line let's take a look at what we would consider effectively the starters so that's going to be uh armstead doomerville uh and thomas they are our tank is now on ir um but he there's a there's a very clear drop off between these four players uh we're not going to include uh mr 90 earl mitchell because <laughs> he's there to just kind of clog the middle if he's if we have to worry about him in pressure numbers, things are way worse than we could ever think about right now, right? Yeah. So let's talk about the people that we care about that actually are, are supposed to be getting somewhat kind of pressure on the quarterback. You've got Eric Armstead. He's got nine total pressures, one sack, eight hurries. His pass rushing productivity is 9.6. Uh, now, 80% of his snaps are as an edge defender. So, so a lot of people are asking questions things like, well, does he rush from the interior or from the edge? He is being treated primarily as an edge defender. And personally, I think that, that this is hurting him. I think it's hurting him and it's hurting his ability because when, when you look at what he's asked to do, he just doesn't have the explosion to do the kinds of things that you would expect someone to do at his position at weak side defensive end. And, and I, I just think that he's being misused, and that means that he's not being able to produce at the same rate that he was last year. Yeah, I mean, we obviously know that this guy's been able to to generate pressure from the inside, and, and that's what he's done very well, um, you know, when he's been on the field during his couple seasons. And yeah, I think right now he's just kind of, kind of miscast. He's uh, spent too much time on the edge, and it just it's a different sort of skill set to get pressure out there than it is the interior, right? There's different things that you're looking for. Um, obviously you have a, a shorter path on the interior, which is going to help with your less athletic guys. You know, if you're, um, out on the edge, you have more distance to travel. So you need, you know, those smaller, more athletic, faster, faster players out there. Um, and so I think, yeah, that's definitely a, a reason why he hasn't been, uh, maybe as productive as he's been in the past. And then, uh, I think when you move to the guys that have been, uh, you know, getting some other time on the edge as well in Doomerville and Thomas, I think you're getting opposite, opposite them. So Numerville has been exactly what I think, uh, you know, we, we would have expected him to be. He's Danny Green, Green man. Yeah. He is he, who we thought he, he was. He is who we thought he was. Go he, ahead and crown his ass. Uh, I mean, he is a part-time player. He is uh, seeing an incredibly high percentage of his snaps being pass rush snaps, right? They're trying to get him in situations where uh, they have a really good idea that the, the opposing team is going to be throwing the ball. Um, and he's generating pressure on those snaps. So he's got uh, 38 pass rush attempts so far through the three games. And he's generated pressure on eight of those, which is a, a really high rate. Um, he's got one of the better ed, uh, pass rush productivities um, so far this season. So it, it's, it's uh, he's everything's going going well, well there. I think, uh, again, and pressure is something that is, you know, tends to be more consistent. So if you have somebody that's getting pressure like that, the sacks are going to come. If he's getting around the quarterback, getting near the quarterback, a lot of times sacks are 
um, a little bit of luck, you know, involved in. And that's why they they don't really you don't see guys really stick with the same sack totals from season to season. Um, because, you know, you get a lot of cleanup sacks. You get a lot of, oh, the quarterback happened to roll right into you as you were coming around the edge. You, you know? get a little Brett Favre um, <laughs> sliding home for your record. Right. There's a lot of things, a lot of factors outside of that player's control that can help them get sacks and, and boost those numbers. And so the general idea is, is that you're around the quarterback a lot. You're going to be in position to get those sacks eventually. So I think Doomerville is going to be fine there. But Thomas has been probably the one uh, that you would like to see more from, right? Armstead, you got a pretty pretty reasonable excuse there and, and reason why he hasn't really been generating the pressure that he has in the past with Thomas. I think, you know, it's, he's young, he's a rookie, he's still getting kind of acclimated to things, but, um, only three hurries so far, uh, in three games. I haven't really seen a lot from him from a pass rush standpoint. Um, and that's kind of a guy I think that you're hoping, um, they can boost things on the edge and, and uh, you know, help things out. Now, one thing about Solomon Thomas is that he is also moving around across multiple positions, I've seen him line up at, at the very least two or three different positions, basically everything but nose tackle. Um, and I think Kyle Shanahan said something similar where when you're asking someone who's young, despite his Stanford education, to do a lot of things, you know, you, you might retard his development at all three of those positions until he's able to put all of it together and kind of take off. Um, it, it's a little bit like having a kid learn two languages, right? Like they might be speech delayed for a while. Uh, and then all of a sudden they're going to put it all together and be completely advanced when it comes to vocabulary. It's the opposite of Alden, of Alden right? Alden Smith had Zach. You have one, jo- one job. Yeah, it was just like you're, you're going to. He was Elvis Dumeril, right? Yeah. Essentially, as a rookie, though, it was like you're going to come in here in sub package situations. You're going to rush the passer, and that's and you're going to do it from the edge. You're going to do it from the same side of the field most of the time. Like um, do this one thing and do it very well, and, and obviously he was able to do that. So I think yeah, Thomas is just a, in a little bit of a different situation. He has a, a relatively clear, I know at least through two weeks, I didn't check him, check numbers after uh, this last game, but um, so he's moving around a lot, but but the snaps are very clear. There's a clear distinction. So he is uh, usually a run defender on the edge and usually usually a pressure on the interior. That's kind of been how those percentages is about through the first couple of games at least. Um, so yeah, I think he's somebody that, you know, in pass rush situations and sub packages, I think they really need to uh, be switching Armstead and Thomas and get Thomas a little bit more on the edge, get Armstead in the middle a little bit more often than, than they have through these first couple games. And that should help out. So one of the reasons I think that fans and myself included are probably thinking, man, we, we don't get as much pressure as we do because you think to yourself, wow, we're, we're eighth in pressure rate in the NFL after three weeks, but it just doesn't feel that way. And that's probably because we don't have a high rate of quick pressure. We have the sixth lowest uh, ranking in quick pressure, which which means we do get pressure. It's not going to be that idiot. Oh, God, quarterbacks got to like do one of the oop de oops and Russell Wilson his way out of a play. Um, and, and so that then leads us to think about the blitz. What is it about the blitz? Is it working? Is it not working? We know one of the, the rules in the Better Rivals drinking game is that you drink every time Salah sends a defensive back on a blitz, which seems to be um, it seems to be a pretty good rule. Doesn't happen <laughs> enough to kill you, but uh, but it's there. It's it there. You got to yeah. be aware of it. for sure. Yeah, yeah definitely there. Um, so we, we are not blitzing at a super high rate. We blitz about 22 percent of the time, which is 27th in the NFL. But we do generate pretty good pressure on those blitzes when we do send an extra defender. Yeah, so the the they've generated pressure on around five percent of the blitzes. So again, not going a lot, but when they go, they tend to get home. I think um, the the couple things there that really stick out when you watch those blitz plays one um, is there's a very clear preference, which isn't all that surprising. I mean, this is probably the dominant um, blitz across the NFL just in general. But 
uh, right now there's a very clear preference for fire zone blitzes um, from Solid, which is going to be a zone type blitz where you are rushing five guys and then you've got three short defenders and three deep defenders. It's usually referred to as safe pressure. Yeah, it's kind of you're not leaving a ton of holes necessarily on the back end, right? You still have that deep coverage that you like from from your cover three, which is obviously their base coverage. Um, and, and so, yeah, there's there's a lot of good elements to it. You can bring guys from different spots and still get to that three and three configuration there. Um, so it's again, it's a very common um, pressure package for for a very good reason uh, across the NFL. And so that's what we're seeing a lot of right now. Not a ton of. Um, like man blitzes or, or blitzes where we're sending, you know, six, seven guys and, and really kind of selling out and leaving no safety help deep uh, on those blitzes. The other the other thing that sticks out is this is the most surprising thing. thing honestly. Yeah, this is uh, and this is the most concerning thing for sure, is that even though they're generating pressure on a good amount of those blitzes, um, they're they're not able to hold up on the back end. So the idea, right, should be that when you're blitzing and you're generating pressure, you're getting there a little bit quicker and the quarterback's having to uh, get rid of the ball faster. And therefore your, your secondary isn't having to be in coverage as long, right? So they should be able to hold up and be in pretty good position um, because they're not out there covering guys for three, four or five seconds. Um, and that just hasn't been the case. They've been, even when they're generating pressure on the blitz, they've been giving up a ton of big plays and, and, and their, their passer rating rating and their yards per attempt attempt a lot so far in the season, uh, basically, they've been the worst or the second worst uh, in the league right there uh, with New Orleans. So they have the worst yards per attempt allowed, which is 16.9, which is ridiculous, which is 16, yeah, 16.9 would be yards per attempt. If that were to be the case, if it were if it were anywhere near that for the whole year, that would be like league shattering, record breaking, amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I forget exactly what that's league not, average that's was not per but, completion. That's per, per attempt. Per attempt, yeah. So uh, that's even factoring in your incompletions there. Um, and and it was like I want to say that around like double what league averages in those situations, just to to kind of kind of get you yeah. you know eight or nine, nine yards per attempt. Yeah. Eight, yeah. eight or nine per attempt is like okay. There's for a quarterback. There's like okay. That that's like you're you're thinking of Ben Roethlisberger when he's just chucking it, you know, and, and he's got those deep receptions. Or you're thinking of Bruce Arians in Arizona, you know, like nine, ten, maybe even you see eleven for a bit until things start to tail off. 16 yards per attempt when we're generating pressure when we're blitzing i mean that 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 just seems weird and, and i think so all of that just to kind of like wrap up all of the pressure talk and, and everything there is i think that's my biggest takeaway after kind of digging into a lot of the data and obviously watching the games and and seeing what they're doing there is uh i, I don't think that the bigger problem right now has to do with the front and the defensive line and, line and after the passer and all of that i think that is about as good as we could have expected going into the season right now. I think that was, I mean, the pressure rate, you know, being a, uh, in the top 10 right now is certainly better than I would have anticipated um, before the season started. You know, I was thinking, you know, a little bit closer to league average there, maybe slightly below average or something like that. Um, and so the fact that we're, we're, you know, well above that right now is a really good sign. But uh, things have been, I think, a lot worse than expected on the back end, right? So in the secondary um, I think kind of kind of regardless of situation, whether whether generating pressure, that they're not generating pressure, blitzing or they're not blitzing, um, they've just really struggled staying with guys. And and I think uh, that at least starts on the outside with the cornerbacks and, and with Rashard Robinson and Dante Johnson just haven't played well. And, and I think that's kind of the biggest takeaway right now for me defensively is the secondary has just kind of been playing awful. Um, you know, you're hoping right now that I, I think that Jimmy Ward being in there at free safety full time, which, again, I think he does look really good so far. I mean, it's a, a very small sample, um, so it's still something to, to be monitored for sure. But 
Uh, he looks pretty good, so I think you're hoping that limits big plays and and kind of keeps everything in front of him. In front of him, really what this this, this defense is designed to do, right? Right. If you Seattle play short throws, everybody runs to the football and makes a tackle. Um, and and so right now they're just kind of struggling in those one on one situations on the outside at cornerback, uh, and that's the thing that needs to improve if they're really going to get better defensively. So the other thing that we think is really about the Rams offense. And I think that this Rams offense is actually kind of for real. I don't mean for real like they're they're currently the league leader in scoring offense, believe it or not. Yeah, uh, number one in pass DVOA. Yeah, uh, that, like eighth and eighth overall. Which and, num- is crazy. and they're they're third in overall DVOA. And now remember yeah. that, that that it's usually DV- DVOA. Now it's just VOA. So so it's not yeah. just for defenses yet, which would would take them down a little bit. But but it's to take them out of the top five or top six, right? They've been impressive, man. They got they have like weapons there, right? If if all of a sudden Goff is is a, the competent, you know, and and maybe even much better than that quarterback that. Uh, you know, he looked like coming out in the draft, I mean, like Sammy Watkins. Was a, I mean, Sammy Watkins was a first round wide receiver for a reason. You got uh, Todd Gurley, Todd Gurley, obviously. Yeah. Um, Cooper Cup is is been uh, great. Their uh, tight end, Joe Everett, is Everett their tight end? I get, yeah. I'm getting all these uh, move tight ends to the point to the point up. where I think their highest paid wide receiver is Tavon Austin. That dude gets like six snaps a game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that dude's basically Tavon, a game player. Um, he just got so, so Fishered. His whole career was Jeff Fishered, and it was just... But if uh, anyone could get the most out of him, you would think it would be Sean McVay, right? And Sean McVay has basically said, like, yeah, you're my gadget player. Like, I mean, maybe uh, McVay just doesn't have a place for that type of player yeah, in his offense. Maybe. You know? I don't know. But you think, of what, you think of what the Rams were able to do against the 49ers defense, and, and a lot of it was not just... It wasn't miscommunication. It wasn't people falling down. It wasn't huge mistakes. I mean, there were a couple of those. These were just legit offensive plays, great play design, and or just offensive players doing what you know, you know, they get paid to. You that beautiful pass to, to Watkins, which we talked about briefly. But you ha- you also have the series where uh, there were two back to back run pass options at the goal line, and it was a really really well designed play where you've got a double slant on the left side of the formation. One play, they run it. The next play, Goff pulls it down and throws it because he's already seen how the team is going to, how the 49ers defense is going to react to it. That's just really, really good play construction and really, really good play call, giving your quarterback options. And then, and then of course, Jared Goff do, doing what he does and executing that to a high degree. I mean, overall, this is an offense that you know was able to take shots and succeed and execute at a high level after basically having to emerge from the shadow of Jeff Fisher. Um, and that's, you know, a result of, of 31-year-old, you know, head coach, uh, which is ridiculous because oh, I'm, yeah. you know... That, I mean, he's my age. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, like, that's... It's crazy. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think, you know, and it's it's way, way too early, obviously, to say this. We're, we're three games in. But um, I think the idea to me of, like, McVay and Shanahan kind of going at, going at having these like entertaining like those type of games like like the Niners Seattle you know when that was going good was was obviously great but it was great in a different way uh, you know it was it was defense heavy um you know it was it was just kind it of was this like very SEC physical football. exactly um and and so I think now that you have these kind of two young uh really talented offensive coaches that are there that uh, I think obviously both teams are hoping are going to be there for a long time and um, you know, both teams are pretty young and still, you know, are, are hoping that their better days are probably ahead of them. But 
uh, it's just the idea of watching those type of matchups for the next, you know, several seasons, I think is really intriguing to me like that. It just is a lot of fun. And yeah, I think what the Ram Rams and everything that you hit on, uh, totally agree with, with like their offense just looked really, really good. Hey, uh, they executed well. Goff made a lot of, uh, really great throws and, and you know, that's just gonna, gonna happen. You're going to play teams that, you know, make plays and, um, that's just going to be how it goes sometimes. So the Rams offense is, while they may not be for real arrived, they definitely, definitely performed well. There, there were a couple of pieces on defense that didn't necessarily help. And one of them was unfortunately Navarro Bowman. He just did not have a great game. He had four missed tackles. He was the lowest rated defender in the game, just below Richard Robinson. And overall, I think the concerning part is that on the season, he misses a tackle once every 4.8 tackle attempts. Uh, and he's got a much higher rate of missing tackles in the pass game than he does in the run game. So this is, you know, you're wondering how he's going to return from injury with another age, with another year in terms of, of age and another significant injury to return from. And, you know, we, we, we've seen even in the offseason, he's in that even like an 80% of our is still, you know, pretty good. Good. I don't know that we're necessarily seeing even an 80% of our Bowman. And, and I wonder if this is definitely a result of the short week. We'll see what happens over the course of the year, but hopefully this isn't a trend that continues because it's it's not it's not going to be good when your quote unquote you know best or I guess at this point second best linebacker is, is operating out there at you know at sixty five percent effectiveness. It, I mean, it really makes you miss uh, Reuben Foster for sure. I, I think you know this was a really bad game um, for Navarro Bowman. I don't think there's any question about that, and, and I think. Um, you know, it, it'll, it'll like, hopefully thing, if things go well, like this is going to be the, be the word that he has, you know, players have had bad games, like that's fine. Um, but I, I think just athletically, he doesn't look like the same guy. Like, I think there is, there is a very clear drop off, whether that's, uh, you know, due to injury age, uh, most likely a, a combination of the two. Um, like he, he doesn't look like the same guy. And, and I think that part is pretty clear. Um, like you mentioned, he can definitely still be a productive player and still be a, a quality part of this defense, but uh, it, it's it's not, not the same. I mean, we're not seeing the same guy out there, and you know the missed tackles are uh, uh, unusual, and you know you know he's not able to hold up in the same way in coverage because of that kind of loss of athleticism. Um, they're not really using him as a blitzer all that much, you know, which has been kind of historically one of his is stronger facets so um yeah it's just not you know you know you're not really seeing the same guy out there that we're used to seeing from um you know the player of his caliber essentially so uh that's been a little bit weird well you mentioned him as a blitzer and i tweeted out a play i actually tweeted out one of the fire zone blitzes from early in the game earlier today and he 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 does this stupid stupid thing where he's i mean he's blitzing the b gap and it's him versus Todd Todd Gerger. Solomon Thomas does a fantastic job of taking the guard right into Jared Goff's face. And Navarro Bowman, I, I feel like Navarro Bowman four years ago would have completely just blown through uh, Todd Gurley on the blitz and been right in Jared Goff's lap. And instead, he tries to do this weird spin move that basically takes him out of the play altogether. And Jared Goff's able to, you know, lean on his back foot make a, and make the throw. So, I mean, maybe the team's not using him on blitzes because he just doesn't. Yeah. I mean, what's, what's kind of weird, too, uh, about that whole thing is like he's been like that spin move kind of been like a, like a relatively go to thing, thing for that's been effective. But he just spins the wrong direction. Like um, he spins away from the quarterback, like in, in, in the direction that 
essentially it give, gives Goff an area to kind of step up into as opposed to going where his, you know, uh, where his path is like in the center of the pocket and forcing Goff to move around and kind of either adjust, you know, to the right, I think in the pocket it would have been or move out of the pocket or something like that, you know, just to bother him a little bit more. So I think that part was just a little bit strange. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, you're again, you're, you're hoping that this is just a, a bad game. And um, I don't think he's been, you know, and I've seen comments from the first two, two weeks that, that uh, you, know, you know, not looking like he was, you know, playing very well. I don't think it was that bad in the first couple of games. Like, I think early on, like if he can be that player, like that's going to be fine, especially once Ruben Foster comes back. Like that's still a, a good quality linebacker. Um, but he's he's not the same guy. And I think there's definitely uh, we're, we're rapidly approaching the point where, we should no longer expect to get the sort of performance that we were used to from Navarro Bowman, right? If this kind of continues to build and we don't see him improve significantly um, and we're all of a sudden five, six games into the season, like that's probably, you know, you know, again, that's what we're going to get from here on out. Now, one game, of course, the Forder was a different story, but the 49ers did not actually defend the run all that poorly. There were really only two run plays that cost the 49ers the game. Over the course of the game, the Rams ran the ball 11 times in the first half and 21 times in the second. And in that second half, in the fourth quarter, there were only two runs out of the 21 that went for 20-plus yards. That means that 19 of those 21 carries in the second half, the Rams were averaging 1.68 yards per carry. But there was two runs, just two runs, that basically buoyed the entire Rams rush offense and they were two very very critical runs one of them of course was the first play of the fourth quarter it was an outside zone kind of pin and pull concept with jet sweep with jet sweep action and navarro bowman got frozen just long enough on that jet sweep app jet sweep action that's difficult to say (laughs) that's a tough one yeah Yeah, i'm glad you're doing it not me because i would i mean if you're having trouble with it like i would just die jet sweep action you gotta make sure to (laughs) enunciate uh, but yeah, so that, that action freezes Bowman long enough to let 76 seal him off. And then the final play of the game, the one that hurts the most, I tweeted this play out earlier. Ray Ray Armstrong basically acts as the, as the t- offensive player for the Rams <laughs> and runs yeah. directly into the back of Eric Armstead and cuts him off at the legs and takes two defenders out along the edge of the outside zone. And it's just an easy 20-yard saunter for Todd Gurley. And, and that was it. I mean, if you take those two runs away, it, it's 1.68 yards per carry. I think the run defense has been one of the things that's been a pleasant surprise considering we were yeah. a complete and utter dog dog last year when it came, <laughs> came to the room. And I, and, I, and I, a lot of people don't like, well, if you remove the good one stats, like the, those type of things, and, and, I, and I get that argument, but I think when you have kind of some outliers like that, right? When you have all of a sudden, you know, there are two runs that are, that are really all that positive, um, and they're, they go for big yardage, like that can really skew the yards per carry when you include those. Right. So if you're trying to get an idea of what this team is doing on a snap to snap basis in the run game, like, I think there is definitely some value in seeing like, okay, of these 21 runs that we got in the second half, 19 times, they were really good, right? They held up really well. I mean, if you're holding teams to a, a little yard and a half of care carry, you're doing something you're, you're doing right on those plays. Um, and especially get a talented back like Todd Gurley. So uh, I think there is value in looking at that and like, yeah, obviously they do need to clean up mistakes. You know, they're not um, all of a sudden a top run defense. Like they still have stuff to work on there, but I think it's greatly improved from last year. And I think uh, these first three weeks, especially, um, you know, they, they've been, 
pretty good. Like the, again, this is a focus for this team and in this defense. And uh, that's a big part of the reason that they run the scheme that they do is so that they can be better in the run defense and get an eighth man in the box um, and all those sort of things. So that part is, is I think right now, now probably been kind of, kind of the some point of, of this, this D three, three games, which you expect this front seven was part where you've invested the most amount of resources. So you would hope and expect that both your pressure and especially your interior pressure because you drafted an ass loaded interior lineman uh, and your your run defense are going to be the strengths of your team. And so far, that seemed to be the case. Now, the other thing that we think, can we just take a moment and just appreciate Brian Hoyer's deep balls? <laughs> and, and for that, I think that's the number one rule in the drinking game. Uh, so go ahead and drink. Yep. Because Brian Hoyer, uh, man, he decided he he won quarterback this this game he was like you know what i've got i've got this thing called an arm uh i've been in the league for 97 years i can do this i can do this uh he was in the first two weeks for passes that were 10 plus yards in the air he had a searing two completions out of 13 attempts for 26 yards and a 7.5 passer rating that passer rating is not out of 10 it is not normalized out of 10, believe it or not. Uh, His adjusted completion rate was 23.1%. That's an adjusted completion rate. That's removing throwaways. Yeah, I mean, it's all the non-aim passes and giving him credit for drops, right? So if you look at the straight, I think there was a drop in there somewhere. So that's right. Yeah, um, yeah. Marquis Goodwin on that. Oh, yeah. Um, on that yeah, of course. Um, yeah. yeah. So the actual completion percentage, right, is like just over 15 um yeah even when you start factoring in the stuff that that it wasn't was aimed or the drops like i mean a league a good. league average quarterback is a 94.8 quarterback rating and an adjusted completion percent uh, rating of 54 uh and he was he was kind of, he was sliding, sliding in below that i mean in well below that but but it's <laughs> the rams but it's rams apparently the rams are the niners soup potion because they just bring the best out of the 49ers and have for three years now uh, whether or not the Niners win or lose, these are always basically the Niners <laughs> games to watch. These are the watchable ones. Yeah, yeah, right? But against the Rams, Brian Hoyer was 8 for 11 for 239 yards, 114.7 passer rating, and a 72%, 72.7%, almost 78%. Adjusted completion. 73. Rate. That's not 73. Yeah. That's I'm, the, I'm just excited. Three is the one after two for two. Correct. Uh, but but he, he was pretty under pressure. He had two really, really good rows where he either had to spin out of a tackle attempt or got obliterated right as he let the ball go. And and he had some really, really pretty passes. He threw a ball up to Marquise Goodwin that he, I mean, both receivers were double covered. So he was like, fuck it, going to throw it. <laughs> uh, and Marquise Goodwin bailed him out. I mean, he had, he, he was the Brian Hoyer that every 49ers optimist hoped he could be in this game. Definitely. This was, uh, I, I think what we saw in this game was best case Brian Hoyer, for sure. Um, Absolutely. I mean, it, th- th- this is, uh, I think on a, there, there, there were things that I think are worth calling on out of performance. One, I mean, I mean with the passes especially, right? Like that was something um, that was very frustrating for the last couple seasons with Kaepernick and, and with Gabbert was, um, not only did they not really throw the ball deep that often, you know, they, they didn't take a lot of chances in trying to push the ball downfield to like Torrey Smith, but, uh, when they did, they, they were rarely close, right? They, they would miss so badly that they didn't give the receiver a chance to do anything with it. Right. And I think the Goodwin play is, is a perfect example of, 
a throw that isn't great, but but you're giving your guy a chance, right? You're putting the ball in the same zip code. Like the the pass, if you're if you're trying to get nitpicky and you're in your evaluate what the quarterback quarterbacks in there, like it was a little underthrown. He probably should have thrown it a little bit further out to the middle of the field, but it's there, right? He he's putting it in position for his guy to make a play. And and I think we saw that in a number of passes, right? There were a couple of uh the throws to Goodwin, right? The throw uh, that was just the ridiculous catch on the sideline there, um, you know, by Which Garcon. one? There were a couple. The, the, I mean, the super, like the one where he's like, it, it's like out of bounds, the toe tap one, right? That yeah. was that was reviewed, of course, like on the, the corner out there from Garcon. So, so um, I, I think this one where, again, when like, is the ball location perfect? Like, is that a, an Aaron Rodgers-esque throw? Like, no, um, it's not. It was a good throw. And it's in the the ballpark of the receiver. You're giving your guys a chance to give your guy a chance to right? play. Yeah. And then the other thing that I think um, really kind of stuck out about this one was uh, he was he was finally taking advantage of the opportunities that were schemed for him by Shanahan. Right. One of our complaints for the first couple of weeks was like, look, there there are things here, right? There are opportunities here that he's missing. There are throws that he's not making where he has guys open. Uh, and it's either like the ball is, is so far off that he's not getting, getting, he's just missing them completely throwing it elsewhere. You're usually, um, further under underneath. And, and we saw him take advantage of passes, right? Right. Like we're, uh, there were some throws. And I think this was the one that kind of really got him started, which was that first kind of big one to Garcon over the middle, right? The play action pass. Um, you get Garcon on the crossing route there and it's a wide open throw, right? That's not a difficult throw to make. That's a, a, a something that you would expect every NFL quarterback to be able to complete, but it got got him going, right? Like it was it was an open throw. He was able to you know get play action, set his feet, no pressure, like make the throw, complete a pass, and, and pick up a good chunk of yardage there. And that was really the moment because he started out. I mean, it was bad. Obviously, the pick six uh, on the on the throw, you know, leaving even the out route way too too far inside. Uh, and then even after that, like like it took him a bit to get going. It wasn't really until that he had that throw from uh, to Garcon kind of late in the first quarter, and then finally by the second quarter is really when you saw him settle in and start to make good decisions, find open guys, you know, take advantage of schemed uh, players that were open. And, and that was th- when things really started clicking in the passing game. So ultimately, it, by the way, it wasn't a pick six. It was a pick almost six. They got back down, oh, the, they got back down the two right. yard yeah, line yeah. and then Gurley ran it in for one of his like should've nine been, it's bad. It was bad enough. It should have yeah. been a pick six. Uh, so ultimately what went right in the game, Brian Hoyer is finally what we hoped he'd be if, if only one game. The, the pro was indeed there. The sacks were not. Garcon is basically Anquan Bolden with wheels, and special teams is still bailing us out uh, at times. And we have the fifth-ranked special teams unit based on DVOA. We forced a fumble that went straight up into the air <laughs> and, and successfully converted an onside kick, uh, which was probably the most technically perfect onside kick I've seen since Joe Nedney. Like that, it, was, it was pretty good. That was the Joe Nedney shit that he would just like pull out of the hat on random whatevers. But that downside kick was perfect. Yeah. It was um, technically perfect. Like, me- <laughs> Messi would look at that and be like, respect, respect, respect. <laughs> like, like, it was oh, that man. good. It was that good. Uh, but but what went wrong? Trent Taylor's offensive pass interference. That, yeah, it, 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 it was a questionable call. No other replay angle has been able to confirm or deny. Uh, like, like, and I'm sure people are going to get are more upset about that. Like, and look, I mean, it was it, it was bullshit. Like, I don't think you can make that call in that situation. Um, however, we are not and have never been people that like just harp on like you have bad calls in the NFL. I felt like it's every single game. Everyone's um, fine. You, you have to be able to overcome that. 
I mean, that was a difficult one in a, in a bad situation that left them in a really bad spot, of course. But, um, you know, there, there are other situations he pointed to. would rather focus on things that the 49ers could have controlled throughout the game. I'd rather have um, Ray Ray Armstrong not act like he's right. trying to hit arms dead in the back. Yeah, it's just not something that we're going to spend a lot of time on, you know, pretty much at, at any point. Yeah. Uh, so Jeff Fisher, what else went wrong? Jeff Fisher got fired and they got a competent <laughs> offensive coach. Damn it. God damn it. And the secondary had a rough go. And and that's something, something I think we're going to probably spend a bit, a bit more time on as the, as the week come, uh, and as season progresses because Rich Robinson was someone we thought was a bright spot. Dante Johnson was someone who we thought could flourish in this scheme. And while I think he definitely has earned a starting role and he's actually performed better than Richard Robinson at times, you're still concerned about your corners. Uh, it, so that's definitely something that was a concern and that's something that went wrong. And, of course, the two runs in the fourth quarter allowed the Rams to ice the game or to pad their lead. And and that ultimately does not shape up for a a win for the 49ers in close games. And this was indeed a close game. We were both wrong. They they covered. I mean, it was a two-point game. And we both we both said like, well, I don't know, like, like if they're cover, they're going to win. I mean, I mean, a point loss is just it's not. A common thing. Yeah, it's not it's a just, common thing. Yeah. It really isn't. Uh, so. So, yeah. So that's the wrap up for the game against the Los Angeles Rams. So the, as a result of the game, let's get to the news. Notable injuries. Tank Carradine. He's on injured reserve. He's likely to return. The rules are a little different this year. You don't have to designate which player is going to return, but you do get two that can return. You just have to let the NFL know basically like, hey, dude's come back. Uh, and he's got a high ankle sprain, so you're looking at probably six, uh, six or so weeks. Uh, and hopefully, at least my hope is that this forces the team to play Armstead at big end, uh, and Solomon Thomas at at the weak side defensive end. Even though that's probably not what's going to happen, I hope it forces them to basically say, "Well, okay, now we have these four starters, uh, and let's go ahead and put Armstead at big end and Thomas." A weak side, but you know, what yeah. else? I think my hope really is is that they make adjustments in sub packages. Is yeah. really where it is. Where I think the biggest thing, because I think in in you know in base when when they're in that four three like whatever, if they're they're really committed to to playing the run. So if they want to have you know basically four big ass defensive line in there to, to stop the run, like do your thing. That you seem committed to that, like it, it's not going to be that big of a deal. I think wink where need to. Um, utilize Armstead and their defensive line talent a little bit better is in 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 those sub packages in pass rush situations. Carlos Hyde is limited. He has an oblique blues, uh, oblique bruise. Uh, he has the blues apparently. Uh, th- we might see more of Matt Breida, which we're always excited about. What what? And then you've got concussions. Uh, Juice check, Tart, and Brock Coyle uh, are all probably going to benefit from a long week. And I think they all, I, I feel like I saw something here. I, I haven't been on Twitter a whole, whole time. I feel like I saw all of them. Them are pressing. They're all already. practicing, so I think but they're... have been cleared for contact. So they, okay. they, there's there just stages of the concussion protocol right. you've got to get to, and, and they're not at the part where they've, they've got to get it for contact. So I, I suspect they will all play. Good signs. Uh, yeah, but those are all good signs. Uh, and then uh, the other news is DVOA update, defensive adjusted value over average. This is football outsiders metric for figuring out per play efficiency. Uh, the 49ers are 30th. In DVOA, 30th on offense, 26th on defense, 5th in special teams. Uh, but, of course, they just took the third-ranked team in DVOA to the brink, and that would be the Los Angeles motherfucking. That's weird. Uh, Kansas, Kansas City's number one DVOA team. Oh, also weird. Also awesome. Alex Smith might get Alex Smith again. 
Like he might take oh. that team. He, he's going to take that he's team going to. To the deep, uh. into the deep playoffs. <laughs> and they're going to be like, cool, thanks, bro. Uh, it's really, Patrick Mahomes time. Really appreciate all yeah. your efforts here. That's, God, let's that go guy. to the young guy. God, that guy. Jesus. So, so let's get to the game preview then against the Arizona Cardinals, a team that has not changed cities recently. I did that mental math really quick. I was like, the, no, it's still the Arizona still Cardinals. Arizona, yep, yep. Still Arizona. I think the Rams, I'm, I'm starting to get used to. It's the Chargers that I still am not. They're going like, to oh, go shit, back to San Diego. What? Don't worry. They're going to go back to San Diego. That they should. They should. They should. They should stop stop playing at damn soccer stage stadium. Can't sell out anyway, uh, <laughs> and go back to Tijoti or whatever the hell it is. Uh, sure, Robbie <laughs> was like what Miami Stadium used yeah, to be called. Ninety two. <laughs> that was okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm replaying. They're going some. Go back to where you came. Go Robbie. back to go back to your home. Are you too good for your home? Uh, but this is going to be a game against the no risk it no biscuit Cardinals. Uh, and the things that we'll be watching in this game: number one, the 49ers' offensive line versus the Cardinals' defensive line. So the Cardinals have been pretty effective at generating pressure. They've got a 38% pressure rate. They're ranked just one spot above the 49ers. But you think of our interior off your offense. This is going to be the story almost almost every Lake and Tomlinson. Uh, last game was rated uh, 36.7 overall in the year. He's 38. It's it's above Zane Beatles. Again, there's a very clear non-Zane Beatles quality about him that's still good. We're uh, in plus Beatles territory. We're, we're not there. Uh, look, dude's going to get better days than than the one that you get against Aaron Donald. Like uh, most offensive linemen in the league aren't going to have good days when when that's the guy that you've got to go up against for most of the day. So. Uh, yeah, it was a bad game. It was a bad game that is uh, expected. And, um, you know, I think that doesn't really change uh, or, 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 or sway like my opinion of his uh, ability as a player all that much. Like Aaron Donald crushes dudes and like that's just how it goes. Joe Staley had a bounce back game, of course. He just generally tends to dominate Robert Quinn because that's what Joe Staley does. It's it's the weirdest thing, man. I don't know, like Robert Quinn. So like that was always his thing uh, was that Robert Quinn, when he first like br- broke out, was the guy that would just dominate your crappy tackles. Right, you get a good matchup for him, and he's going to put up like you know, you know pressures, grab a couple couple of sacks, and just have a monster game. But then he kind of dis- disappeared a little bit against uh, some of the top competition and a lot of that was obviously joe staley and getting to see him twice a year um but for whatever reason joe staley just shuts him down and that was absolutely the case here uh staley had a great game after i thought uh he played pretty poorly uh one of one of his uh you know worst games in recent memory i think against seattle um just was was really good here not only uh pass protecting against him but also i thought he was really good in the run probably the best guy in the run game as well and I wonder whether or not Brian Hoyer is going to, you know, basically going to need pressure in order to become a good quarterback quarterback. Because when you when you don't pressure, he seems to just kind of like, like fart. Uh, but pressure or and under, under pressure, he's like, oh, my God, I'm Superman. Uh, maybe he's like Andrew Luck, right? He's got to get punched in the mouth in order to uh, to be good at football or something. Well, um, he's going to have plenty of opportunities. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's why we structured our interior offensive line that way is because he <laughs> Kyle Shanahan is trying to get the most out of Brian Hoyer and trying to punch him in the mouth. <laughs> At least a couple times a game. Uh, no, that's not it. We just worry about his safety. Uh, it, the next thing that we'll be watching, this is probably more exciting than watching interior line, is going to be Pierre Garçon versus Patrick Pearson. Pierre Garçon just has this just Anquan Bolden feel about him. It's just you, you, yeah, you yeah. know he's just mean. He, he's nasty. You worry about, about hitting post-snap penalties. Or I worry about getting post-snap he's gonna penalties. He's going to spin that fucking ball right in the defender's face and like gonna it's going to borderline, and you're just like, fuck yeah. You know, like... 
I don't care about the post snap penalties. I think they're dumb. I think the that rule is dumb, like all of it. But I love that receiver that's willing to uh, flirt with that line all the time, right? Anquan Bolden was like that. Like you just had to, you had to know that a couple of times a season. Anquan Bolden didn't flirt with that line. He took it to his car, and you know, like <laughs> if the fans are rocking, don't come a knocking. That was not flirt. Uh, but I mean, it was like it was ultimately like you know, you know, a couple of times a year, you're gonna have a penalty for something, something that's post snap because as Anquan Bolden just gets fucking an amp. And Pierre Garcon is is a little bit like that. I think he's maybe a little bit tamer uh, he than, than he's what got Anquan Bolden, but. Um, it's still, it's that same sort of feeling where, uh, you just, you know, that when the ball is thrown his direction, you all of a sudden you see that he's the target. You just feel really good that that's going to work out, right? That, that, that he's going to make the catch that something good's going to happen. Uh, he's a beast after the catch. Like he is just like a slightly smaller, faster version of Anquan Bolden in, in ter- terms of it's like the way, uh, that I, I don't know the way I feel like when, when the balls head his direction. That third down play against the Rams, where he caught it just just too short of the sticks. Yeah, that was and like third and seventeen, or it was third and seventeen, like and yeah. he muscled his way. He single handedly secured that first down. That was ridiculous. But the problem against the Cardinals is that Patrick Peterson is also very very good at football, uh, and he's been beasting on dudes the first three games in his own right. He is first in cover snaps per reception at thirty five, and that's ridiculous. That means that he he covers a receiver 35 times before he allows a reception, which means he might might allow like a reception in a game, which is exactly what he's allowing so yeah. far this season. He's yeah. three, he's three total receptions. He's first allowed in yards uh, per cover snap so at 0.21. Basically, he's first in cover snaps per target at 15. All of that. That's just that's a lot of fancy math to say dude's really good at, foot, at football. It's it's like so he doesn't get targeted very often because teams are like, well, fuck that shit. Uh, when he does get targeted, he doesn't give up receptions very often. And then in the rare case that he gives up a reception, he doesn't give up many yards on those receptions. Right. So uh, he's been killing. I mean, and he's had uh, you know, he's been obviously one of the one of the best backs in, in football fall for several seasons now and has always been a guy that I, that I think uh, been one of the players that takes on kind of the more difficult uh, responsibilities from a cornerback standpoint, right? He is a, he is somebody that is going to follow around your best player on most of the, the the snaps. So that's why this is going to be the matchup in this game. Like no matter where they put Pierre Garcon, Patrick Peterson is almost certainly going to be there. Um, you know, nearly every single snap, and he has he shadowed yeah. uh, the number one wide receiver all three games this year. So a couple things to know: one, if you've got Pierre Garcon on your fantasy team, I would sit him. Yep. Uh, and, and that means that if you're looking for some other, maybe, maybe, uh, borderline bench, bench player, like, uh, maybe I need to fl- flag. Maybe you're looking at, uh, George Hill. Maybe you're looking at Mark Goodwin. Basically, you're looking at someone other than Pierre Garcon because Patrick Peterson, I think is gonna, is gonna probably give him a rough go. All things considered. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's something that is always fun to watch. And, and I mean, Garcon has been a monster, obviously this season, he's the sixth highest graded receiver right now at PFF, uh, through these first couple of games but seventh in yards per route run man yeah he's shanahan offense coming through doing it um and, and so but i i think this is a game where you're not i mean obviously i i think it would be a very big surprise if he puts up the sort of numbers that he put up last week and, and this is going to be a game where you really you really have to rely on some of those other targets it's right and i have to hope that um you know goodwin can can make a play downfield which is I this don't think trent is, taylor's breakout game uh, let's hope so i mean uh, is this where Trent Taylor goes like eight receptions for 110 yards? Uh, uh, 
I mean, I'm never gonna like. I I, I don't know. I don't think that that's like a likely thing ever. Um, eight for receptions options, for 89 basically. yards. Because I mean, eight I rece- could see. I, I could see one of those. Yeah, like eight receptions for 89 yards. Around still get ten. You a, a lot of fancy points. Like around 10 yards per reception. Yeah. Like I think, I think that's where he lives. Eight for eight. Eight for 83. And and like maybe a touchdown. I mean that that yeah. puts him at like if you're like, if you're talking about the daily daily fan fan, which by the way I started playing this year in my college buddies league and I absolutely love. It's I, great, right? Can't it's go, so I, much better. I can't go back to regular fantasy. I'm so, so disinterested in regular fantasy. It's not even <laughs> funny. Um, but I mean, eight, 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 PPR DraftKings is PPR. Talking about eight points for the yardage, another eight yeah, points for the reception, 16. sixteen points. If you throw a touchdown on top of that, you're talking about twenty three points. Four, yeah, twenty three points. Or 22 points. Uh, uh, so that's a lot of points. It is. I think the one thing that would maybe uh, um, give give me pause there, and it, it's, it's kind of tough because he hasn't played all that well so far this season, but but Tyron Matthew is going to be the guy that he sees out of this game, right, who has obviously been a very good slot cornerback. Just been um, off this season. Yeah, hasn't reason. hasn't really been on his game so far. Hasn't been playing well through uh, the, you know the first couple weeks here, but... Um, you know, you, you figure that he's going to kind of get it turned around at some point. He's still a really good player. So, uh, that's, that's kind of a difficult matchup. I think this is the game where you're hoping that Goodwin, uh, can really kind of shine. And, you know, yeah, again, and I had all that hype this off season and, and what he could do in this, uh, this offense. And I think he, he still has yet to, to prove he's more than just a deep, a deep. And, and I think that this is a game where you need to see him can kind of cut big and then, yeah, kid, like we're going rookie that I feel better about kind of breaking out just because of the matchups that he's going to see. Kittle would be the guy that I would lean toward, uh, you know, over Taylor a little bit there. So, but we're going to have to, again, regardless, we're going to have to see uh, where these kind of non Pierre Garcon targets go. And and if any of these guys can kind of pick up the slack, because it's going to be tough for Garcon to kind of get his this week. So the other thing that we'll be watching is which Carson Palmer shows up because this is a Carson Palmer that's had an up and down season, uh, which you would expect because everyone thought he fell off a cliff. Last last year, old quarterbacks backs hit a cliff that go from like really good to kind of middle of the road. And it's really good to why do you have a job? <laughs> uh, and Carson Palmer, you know, he kind of hit that cliff last season. And this year, the first two weeks, everyone thought like, yeah, look, he hit a cliff. This is not the Carson Palmer that was was beasting on people when he was, you know, the, the quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals and when he first started. Over the first two weeks of the season, Carson Palmer was not playing well, and he was not very effective when it came came to the pass. Over week one and two, Palmer was throwing short only like fifty six percent of the time, which was the second lowest. And this is Bruce Arians; he 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 likes to throw it deep, and he wants to continually throw it deep. But in week three, he threw short like seventy percent of the time. So there was a pretty big swing between his deep passes and his intermediate to short passes between weeks one and two and weeks three. And all of a sudden, week three, you see the Cardinals explode. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, hey, Carson Palmer's back. And I think that might be just because you're not asking him to do the most difficult things that you ask quarterbacks to do with do which deep. And you're like, like, oh, what? You're old. Let's not, let's not ask you to make <laughs> high difficulty pers- or, or high difficulty throws. Let's rein that in a little bit. And all of a sudden, you see a, a kind of rejuvenated Carson Palmer. So which Carson Palmer are we going to see? Are we going to see the no risk it, no biscuit, let's go ahead and have you throw it deep? Or are we going to have the Carson Palmer that throws short and maybe proves that he's maybe not done because he's evolving his game as his age evolves as well? Yeah, I think it's it's weird to think of a Bruce Arians offense not 
growing down the field. I mean, that's just kind of what he does and, and what, what the Cardinals have always done since he's been there. Um, but yeah, it will definitely be something be so much to see whether that was sort of sort of one game anomaly and it's kind of a game planning that week and they, they kind of revert back to what they know or whether or this is, is kind of signifies a more significant transition in their passing game and uh, kind of affects the way that they approach things going forward. So I think yeah, that's definitely a big thing. Um, the other thing is, as far as that passing game goes that I want to see is can the 49ers kind of capitalize on uh, mistakes that Palmer's made because um, he has kind of put the ball in harm's way a good amount this season. So, of course, um, if you've listened to Steve Palazzolo, of course, this was a podcast for us during the draft season, talk about quarterbacks. Pod. Um, you know, kind of one, one of the big quarterback guys there is there spends a lot of time into quarterback play in the NFL. One of his uh, big metrics that he likes to go to is what he calls turnover worthy throws, um, which effectively are just the lowest graded throws that, that we have. So they're they're the poor throws where the quarterbacks are putting the ball in harm's way, essentially. Right now, uh, through the first three games, Palmer ranks 30th in percentage of turnover worthy throws. So 6.3% of his passes uh, are, are qualify as that. That's nine total throws for him. So uh, there are going to be some chances if that continues for the 49ers just to kind of get some turnovers, which is something that they've struggled with. They ha- they haven't um, really gotten a lot of turnovers, I think, interception-wise. Um, you know, obviously the the insane tart interception, I don't think there's been another one. Am I remembering that correctly? No, there hasn't. No there's been a couple that have bounced right? off of Robinson's chest and yeah. they've been knocked away by uh, defenders, but no. Yeah, so I, I mean, it's it's something that they haven't really had, uh, you know, or haven't been able to do during these first couple of weeks. Uh, I know just 6.2% of opposing drives have ended in a turnover so far. Um, so you want to see if, if, if Palmer's going to continue throwing kind of those those asses and putting the ball in all in hard way can these cornerbacks uh you know step up up and take advantage of that or is it going to be a situation where um you know this is kind of where he breaks out and he gets a lot of big plays because if we remember last season right this was um when carson palmer just torched us down the field and and just put up um kind of some monster numbers so uh, hopefully we don't see a replay of that, but that, those are the things I think from the Cardinals passing game standpoint that will be interesting to watch. And then also from the passing game for the Cardinals, you also think about JJ Nelson versus Jimmy Ward. There's a lot of J name wide receivers uh, and like Jay Brown and they have like a John Brown or a Jaron Brown. Yeah, and they're and like JJ Nelson, Nelson. apart. I think what is, is it yeah. 10 and 11 or 11, 11 and 12? Or it some gets shit real like confusing. Uh, this is almost like, like our uh, DeAndre's, right? They don't have like a DeAndre Carter and a, uh, uh, one with White. a DE, one with a DI. Yeah, like, yeah, it was. Yeah. It got weird, man. Yeah. Uh, but you've got Jimmy Ward versus JJ Nelson. JJ Nelson has developed into a legit deep threat for the Cardinals, and of course, this is going to be your big play wide receiver for the Cardinals. But you've got Jimmy Ward, who is now in his second game playing free safety, and he's a player that, from what we've been able to see so far in limited snaps, just looks like a natural position fit at free safety. We already talked about the play where he was able to cover a lot of ground and help over over the despite the fact that it was it was a commission. And 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 overall, the 49ers are indeed much better defending against the deep pass this season. Last year, the 49ers were the worst in the NFL against deep passes. They allowed 129 quarterback rating on deep passes. And this year, that rating is down to 56.3, which puts them eighth in the NFL. And that's including all the throws that you had against the Rams. So this is one of those things where we talked about it in week one. The Niners got away with a little bit because Cam News was basically falling apart. And he did not capitalize on some of those deep throws. But 
this is still a team that has has improved that has improved over last year's deep passing and i think may only get better with a legit true free safety back there in jimmy ward but now you've got your big test against jj nelson who is not only fast but is in an offense that is built to get the deep ball uh to a wide receiver like jj nelson so i think it's going to be really a test for jimmy ward and i'm excited to see whether or not he's able to to kind of step up to the plate Jimmy Ward for me is going to be a guy that I probably spend the most time watching this week. He's he's somebody again that um, we thought was going to transition very well to this role. I think it's been encouraging what we've seen from him early, and this will be a good test. Like he, he should have um, there, there should be a lot of situations, a lot of different snaps that we can go to um, to kind of see how he handles that this week and see what he's doing against throws uh, that are going to challenge him. So. This is going to be, yeah, a player that, um, that that I have a lot of attention on this week. So that's what we'll be watching this week. And, and now it's, of course, the the question. It's it's a seven-point spread based on Bovada uh, and their line. You've got the Cardinals are favored by seven. This is an away game. It's the first of three. So, David, I think we are... I think we're both one and one, right? Uh, well, I think technically we're two and one because we called that the, the nine would cover. Oh, that's right. Okay, we just, that's we right. Just, yeah, we yeah. just called that they would win outright. Yeah. Which, we're not, I mean, winning outright at this point, it's like the spread is kind of the more important thing. Yeah. So they covered. They absolutely covered. So we're, we're both two and one. Do the Niners cover a seven-point spread at, uh, as an away uh, opponent against the Arizona and the Cardinals? I think I'm going to go with yes. Um, I don't think that they win. Um, but I don't think that this Cardinals team is is all uh, like I haven't been that impressed with them. Like, like I don't know um, that they're going to be able to put the sort of kind of big, big numbers that they put up against the 49 lately. I mean, um, you know, obviously it, it only takes one game and these defenses still had problems, right? They're still struggling, I think, in the secondary a little bit. So this could could change. But um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think they do keep it within a touchdown. I, I think uh, a blowout isn't something that I would see is is the most likely outcome in this game for sure. So Arizona overall is 25th in DVOA. They are not they are not the mighty Arizona Cardinals that we once knew. Uh they are uh 26th in offense, but they are indeed 12th when it comes to defense. Yeah. So I think this this could be one of those low scoring game games, low scoring games games if if we know anything from 3, three weeks, who knows what we know, but if we know anything from 3 weeks Low scoring games might kind of play into the 49ers hands a little bit. Uh, So, so yeah, this is what they do more. I mean, this is, uh, you know, they've obviously slowed the pace down considerably from uh, what we saw with Chip Kelly. I think right now they were uh, kind of middle of the pack in terms of situation neutral pace uh, when when I last looked at it. Um, And so I think that's, you know, a better strategy when it comes to, and I don't, you know, necessarily back away from anything we talked about when it came to pace and kind of the advantages of that with all the Chip Kelly's Kelly stuff. We saw the Rams run pain pace yeah. to a great degree of effect it, against it, the 49ers. It can be very effective, but I think as an underdog strategy, a thing that does make sense uh, is kind of shortening the game, right? It, when you have fewer plays, the variance increases and therefore like that, that's a better underdog strategy, right? When you're a good team, a more dominant team, that's when you really want to pick up pace and get more plays because your uh, superior talent is going to show through over a larger number of plays, right? You're going to be able to eventually uh, just kind of impose your will on, on the, the opposed teams. So um, I think that it does make sense for them. And yeah, if they can kind of shorten the game and 
um, you know, keep this thing close, you know, who knows, but I, I still, I still think they, they end up losing the game. You know, it's going to be a tough month for them. They have a lot of road games, a lot of, uh, you know, pretty good teams. They don't really have anybody that sucks. And we talked about this before the season, right? Like the first half of the schedule and the first three quarters of the schedule is the toughest part, right? It's, it's not really until late that they get some teams that aren't that good. Um, so I think this is still a loss, but I think, yeah, they keep it competitive. This one's tough for me because as I'll, I, I, I'm not at a running game now that, that Davidson's, of course, not playing. I, I do think that Larry Fitzgerald and J.J. Nelson and that wide receiving core is the strength of that offense. And the weakness of our defense right now is in our cornerbacks. Yeah. It just really is. And that's, and, a th- I mean, Quan Williams, right? So I think he's been, he's been good in the run game. I think in the past game, still not all that great. Um, but this is a similar problem to what we have with Jimmy, Jimmy Ward, Ward, right? He's yeah. still a smaller guy, and so yeah. Larry Fitzgerald is going to be a problem. So I think maybe even more so uh, than some of the deep ball stuff. And Jimmy Ward is like, still I – mean, Jimmy Ward shoot. shoot. Uh, uh, Larry Fitzgerald Gerald is catching ridiculous pa- passes. Did you see that pass that he caught uh, in the Monday Night game where the, like he jumps up and the ball basically falls down onto his arm and he still catches it? It, it just – he still does he's shit like that. Yeah, I mean he's still with, somebody – that can box out those smaller guys. Yeah. He's going to be able to get, you know, uh, he's going to get his on the interior. Like he's yeah. still somebody that's going to make difficult catches can make contested catches like that hasn't changed. Yeah. And, and that's what I think, you know, I, I do obviously Vegas is Vegas for a reason. I do think the spread is probably good at seven points. Um, but I, I do think that based on the lack of David Johnson, I don't think Carson Palmer is on or is all right. I think I think this is probably a closer game to think, and, and I think the 49ers cover as well. So. Uh, so yeah, so I think that does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. Make sure to follow us on uh, Twitter. You can follow me at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? It's going to be at Newman NFL. Right, and if you uh, if you listen to us on Google Play or on iTunes, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review because it helps others find the show. And it helps our rankings, which is always it makes it easier for others to find the show. So that's for this week. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Fultron! I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.